Welcome to A Different Way of Traveling. This is a podcast where we discuss travel for persons with disabilities and special needs in South Africa and beyond with our host, Lois Strachan. Join us as we share inspiring stories of people who travel, exciting accessible travel experiences, and showcase service providers who will accommodate those with special needs. And now, on with the show. Hi there, and welcome to another episode of A Different Way of Travelling, a podcast on accessible travel presented by Accessible South Africa. I'm your host, Lois Strachan. Before we dive into today's episode, just a quick reminder that if you haven't already done so, please follow the podcast by hitting the subscribe button on your podcast player. That way, you can receive every new episode as soon as it's released. Right, let's dive into the interview. Today on A Different Way of Travelling, we're chatting to Adam Perry, who's joining us all the way from Minneapolis in Minnesota in the USA. Hi there, Adam. How are you doing today? I'm lovely, Lois. How are you? I am very well, thank you. Thanks so much for joining us. I always enjoy learning more about people's travels and some of their experiences. So it's great to have you with us on the show. Let's just start off by getting a sense of who you are and a little of your story. Uh, sure. Uh, so my name is Adam, Adam Perry. Uh, I am a 49-year-old man living in the United States. Um, uh, as a young boy growing up in Cincinnati, Ohio, uh, I was diagnosed with retinitis pigmentosa. Um, and the way that was figured out was I was, um, you know, that was in the seventies. Um, and, um, it had the diagnostic technology that we do today, um, to figure that kind of thing out. And what was happening was I was, um, you know, occasionally missing a fly ball on baseball games and people couldn't figure out why. Uh, and then I would be dropping things at home. And in the 70s, you had those shag carpets that were real thick and different colors of browns and oranges. And um, I was making circles around things, trying to find things that were right that I had dropped or that I was looking for because I couldn't find them. And so my mother suspected that there might be something more to it uh, than just the fact that I was nearsighted. Um, and so, you know, she took me and found a, took me to a doctor who was able to look into my retinas and figure out that this was happening that I had retinitis pigmentosa, which is a degenerative disease of the retina um, that's genetic. Um, uh, and um, over time, you're, I've been losing my peripheral vision and my night vision and um, my vision vision as well. <laughs> uh, uh, but, you know, it was an interesting way to grow up knowing that this thing was happening to me, um, but slowly and that I wouldn't really ever know how it would happen to me until it happened. Um, uh, just knowing that it was, it was there, you know, and, um, uh, you know, so I grew up as a kid knowing he was losing his sight and slowly losing his sight. Uh, but that didn't prevent me from having a very graceful and grateful and normal childhood. You know, I did everything everybody else did. I didn't play sports much. Um, that kind of prevented me from that, but I got into theater and, and the arts, um, as a substitute, 
um, and uh, excelled at that and enjoyed it very much in high school and then getting into college. Um, and when I went to college, I majored in theater uh, and majored in political science and studied that intently. Um, got a master's degree in theater after college and then uh, entered the world. Uh, still in my 20s, um, uh, I was very much a, you know, a person um, who was faking it to make it, as they say in the U.S. Um, I was not kind of entering the world as a blind man yet. I was still trying to get by as a person who couldn't see very well. Um, and, uh, you know, but I started right away with a career in the theater and uh, the professional side of theater and the producing side of things. Um, and built a nice career doing that and then transitioned into some nonprofit work in the arts and culture where I am now, where I'm a vice president in an arts organization directing the programs there here in Minneapolis. It's a place called Arts Midwest. Uh, and I've had a pretty unique journey along the way in terms of uh, doing a lot of um, travel, both personal and professional for work uh, and for pleasure. Uh, and both as a person who was adjusting to blindness and a person who is fully blind, you know, in the world. Um, and it's, it's been a heck of a journey and one that I wouldn't trade for anything, for sure. It's been quite an interesting just listening to you. And sometimes I, I find it interesting listening to what people share and what they choose not to share um, in the, this first section as they ask them to introduce themselves. So you've given us a lot of information and there's part of me that kind of goes, oh, there's so much in that that I'd love to kind of dive into. But this is a podcast about travel. So let's yeah. stick to that side of it. So yeah. you mentioned you've been doing a lot of travel for your work and as well you've traveled uh, for leisure. Can you give us kind of broad strokes picture of the travels that you've done? Where have you been? Sure. Um, I've been to six or seven continents. The only one I haven't been to is Antarctica. Um and I don't know that I have a bucket list for that or not. I still haven't figured that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, uh, I've been probably to 30, I think over 30 countries, somewhere between 30 and 40 countries. I've been to all, almost all the countries in Europe. I've been to Egypt. I've been to Morocco. I've been to Malaysia. I've been to Turkey. I've been to China. I've been to Japan. Uh, I've been to Australia. Uh, I spent some time in Peru and Colombia and Mexico and Nicaragua. Uh, Canada. Um, I've been to 48 of the 50 states in the U.S. The only ones I haven't been to are uh, Wyoming and Oklahoma. Uh, and so I've had a pretty you know, broad experience in terms of globetrotting and kind of some interesting places, you know, along the way. Uh, been for everywhere from Norway to, you know, Nova Scotia. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it does sound like we need to get you back out to the African continent and um, very much want to, yes. Yeah, yeah, there would definitely be more more countries to take off, off your list there. Definitely a bucket list. Yeah. Well, tell us a little bit about the logistics of how you travel and how you engage with the travel experiences that you take. You know, it's interesting. I was thinking about this. Um, I adjusted to travel. You adjust to travel the way you adjust to losing your sight. You know, I learn something each time I go somewhere. I learn a new technology or a new technique. Um, I find myself in a situation that requires some different thinking or strategy, and then I learn it, and then I have that with me the next time that I travel. Um, you know, uh, I spend a lot of time uh, when I travel thinking about logistics, thinking about point A to point B to point C. How? What are the different ways that I can get from these places to these places? 
Um, I think about um, planning um, as, as much time as I can for things that take people who have sight, um, they can do it in a more streamlined fashion. I know it's gonna take me longer sometimes um, and that's okay. You have to grant yourself that space, you know? So this is simple things about thinking about when you're flying internationally, what the layover is between if you're in, you know, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam or Narita in Tokyo, um, what's that layover going to be? How, is it, how, how long is it going to take for you to figure out to get from your gate to the next gate, the next airline, wherever you're going? And thinking about, um, you know, giving yourself the time and space to permit yourself to be able to do it on your own, you know, is important to me when I travel. So, you know, I book longer layovers. I, um, you know, sometimes at Schiphol, there's a way you can, in airports like that in the world, you can, there's hotels in the airports. Well, sometimes it might be better to just find a hotel and sleep it off and then get up in the morning and find your plane. You know, uh, it might be worth that if to save the stress of trying to figure out how to get so quickly as we all hustle and bustle about in these, in these, in these places, you know, um, you know, it helps to think that way. I think about hotels. I think about where they are. I think about their location in terms of relationships to whatever meeting, conference, event I'm going to for work or for pleasure, the things that I want to see um, and experience. Um, I think about walkability, you know, uh, in terms of am I going to be in a place where I can get out and with my cane have a chance of success, um, you know, in, in, way, in wayfinding. Um, and, and, and finding where I'm going to go, you know, and uh, I think about a lot of that. And it's mostly internalized planning, I would say. I don't do a lot of writing it down and pl plotting it out. For me, it's mostly just researching, thinking, making a plan in my head. So is this basically done ahead of the trip or is this done partially ahead of the trip where you investigate, research and do some planning there? but then also acknowledging that no matter how well your plans are laid, you're probably going to have to make some adjustments on the way. So true. Uh, and the, the, that's the fun part anyway. Um, that's the best. You know, the, the fun part about travel is all the things you don't plan, you know, uh, um, and sometimes it can get a little harrowing, you know, uh, but uh, reality is that's, that's living. You know, that's when you feel a lot is when you're experiencing something that you didn't plan that you're just kind of rolling the dice and taking taking a guess on you know I ask a lot of questions so I do a lot of planning in terms of preparation but then I'm always open to rearranging my thinking you know um, or trying a different strategy uh, or opening myself up to the possibility of you know a different connection or relationship that might be worth um, making so that, that I can have a different experience you know um, I ask a lot of questions when I get to hotels. I ask a lot of questions of doormen. I ask a lot of questions of uh, concierges. Um, I ask a lot of questions of, of you know, bartenders, <laughs> you know, and, and people that are in the cities, you know, so that I can learn more about, you know, that's when you find out, hey, you wouldn't believe it, but this band's playing right down the street tonight, mm -hmm. you know, or, hey, you got to go check this out. You know, people don't know much about it until they get here. But there's this really cool festival happening, you know, and you go check this out. And, you know, that's how you learn, you know, and then you just figure out how to do that from the point that you're at, you know, when, when you find this kind of thing. 
It's so true. And I think one of the things that maybe those of us, and I don't know if it's just the visually impaired community, but whether it's all with disabilities or, you know, even just different personality types, but some of the best travel experiences that I've had have been the unplanned ones, talking to someone and they say, hey, have you thought about doing this? And yeah. that often leads to some really extraordinary and memorable travel experiences. I think, I think back to my youth, and I think it's also some of the most important and meaningful travel experiences. The reason you travel in the first place happened when that way, right? So I think back to my youth. First time I traveled abroad um, was when I was in college, I was studying in a program that was based in Geneva, Switzerland. And uh, we would, um, the, the kids I was with, um, you know, we were your classic American backpacker type kids there to study abroad over the summer and, you know, enjoy our weekends, getting on the train and going wherever we wanted to go. Uh, and one weekend, we, a uh, bunch of us woke up and, you know, we went to Munich, saw the Hofbrauhaus, house and had a great time drinking beer, doing what kids do. Uh, and merrily, you know, uh, lumped our way back into a train to get back to Geneva for a class the next morning. And all of us managed to sleep right through Geneva and we woke up in Paris. Oops. Um, you know, we, <laughs> we, enjoyed, we enjoyed our time in Munich a bit too much. Uh, but we figured we got to, when we woke up in Paris, we said, you know, okay, we can't do anything about it now. We've already missed, you know, we're, we're in Paris. Hey, so and, what's happening in Paris? <laughs> you're right. So we spent a day finding out what was happening in Paris. And during that day, you know, we, of course, we wandered into around Notre Dame to see it. And um, if you go along Notre Dame, we discovered along the river, though, on the River Seine, there's a, there's a stone, big stone, like a stone archway kind of thing that you walk into and you have to kind of crawl between these crevices um, into a space. And then when you open the space, there's a, you see um, a flicker of light that becomes a bunch of flickers of light in a tunnel, in, in a dark tunnel. Um, very metaphoric to how I see in a lot of ways. Um, and as you get in there, there's a, there was a gentleman that came shuffling up to us. We were just kids. We we're American kids. It was eight in the morning. There was nobody else there. And, you know, um, this old man came up to us and started talking to us. And he said that this was, you know what this is? And it turned out it's the, um, it's the memorial to the French folks who died in the Holocaust, the French Jews who died in the Holocaust. It was there two years ago. Yeah. And for a kid, you know, I was 19, 20, um, and stumbling into this moment and having this, this wonderful man um, who was a survivor of the camps himself um, explain what these, these these lights meant and why this was here and, and what was happening. Um, you know, that was an experience that I got to have um, by accident, you know, um, because we slept too long on a train. And... For me, um, that was kind of the genesis, I think, in a lot of ways of my curiosity about travel in the world, about having more experiences like that. You know, when we were in, when we were in Rome uh, that, during that time, I was big into art history, right? So um, I had studied art history in high school and I just loved art history. And there's a sculpture that's very important to me. Um, it's the Ecstasy of St. Teresa by Bernini. And I knew that that, sculpture was in Rome and there was this is ties into losing your sight too as a kid you know so there I was I was like okay I'm in Rome I can go see this sculpture now 
And it was really important to me to go see it um, because I didn't know if I would be having enough sight the next time I got back to experience it the same way. You know, I had just enough sight left to see it, you know? Uh, and it was really important to me. You know, those kind of decisions were in my head as I was traveling as a, as a young man about losing my sight, about knowing that the future would be different. And that if I could see St. Teresa in ecstasy with the usable sight that I had left, that I was damn well going to do it. Yeah. You know, um, then that was just as a young man, it impacted my thinking and, and how I thought about all the things to see in the world, all the things to hear, all the things to taste, all the things to touch, you know. Um, and so I think that was kind of the genesis of what happened to me later in life with all my travels. In listing the different senses there, would you say that you use your other senses as a primary source of input when you travel Absolutely. now? I have to. I don't have a choice. Um, but And I like it. Uh, frankly, <laughs> um, you know, uh, I, I, that's something I think also too, every time I go somewhere, I learn, I learn more from my other senses now. I, you know, uh, I think that, you know, um, I use my sense of touch primarily, I would say to get through, through anything in life, especially the world of travel, um, that you have to be careful, you know, there's a delicacy that you have to have in order to be safe. Um, and also to be respectful in other cultures, uh, you know, in terms of touch. Um, but it's so important because hot, cold, you know, um, windy, um, silent, all those things matter. You know, if you stand in the, one of my favorite things to do is thinking about, you know, so when I was in Egypt, we took a trip out to the desert in Egypt, right? And I loved it because I felt this perfect silence. Like there was absolutely no sound. Other, and then occasionally there might be a little wind that would blow past your face, you know, and to experience that, that kind of feeling, you know, you don't need your eyes for that, you know? Uh, and, um, you know, those kind of moments are so incredible. You know, if you pay attention and hear things and feel things, you know, all these places I've been, I think about the places that have had all this energy, you know, like Machu Picchu and pyramids and, you know, visiting a concentration camp, all the different kinds of energies that are out there. You have to give yourself time and space to stand there and feel the cosmic notion around you. You know, you have to feel the song of the ages that's, that's there, you know, and, and, and to feel that vibration almost. And there's a lot to me about vibration and texture that happens. You know, um, I use my sense of smell a lot in terms of, you know, when you're in a market in Istanbul or, you know, in, in Melbourne, Australia, Victoria market or whatever, you're like, that smells good. I want to know more about it. You know, <laughs> like I want either, I want to digest it, inhale it, whatever, but that smells good. You know, <laughs> uh, and also sometimes, wow, that smells bad. I don't think I'm going to go there. Yep. Yeah. You know? uh, <laughs> so it is a weird way. I mean, it's a, it's a sensory kind of experience for sure, but one I certainly enjoy. You know, you know, that for me, I've, I've traveled as a sighted person and also as a, as a blind person. And I just think about the experiences that I missed 
when I was traveling, when I was really only using my eyesight to experience a place. And how richer the experience is now that I'm more open, well, also have to use my other senses to do it. I think it's such a shame that I missed that opportunity earlier. I um, I had, you know, I can remember um, a couple of times suddenly being surrounded by literally a herd of wild of, of animals, you know, that when I was in Egypt, because in Egypt, you know, um, I was in a neighborhood in Egypt walking around, I turned a quarter and all of a sudden I would walk right into a, a, a goat herder holding a bunch, herding a bunch of goats down the street, you know, and also I was surrounded by goats, you know. And I, and it was, I didn't see, I couldn't see very well, you know, obviously. And, you know, so it was much more for me about standing still and let these goats bounce off me, yeah. you know, um, they went by and hearing them bleat and, and smelling them and, you know, the energy of that, you know, and just waiting for that experience to stop. Cause I couldn't really do anything other than wait for them to go by, you know? And I had the same kind of experience in, in a different way in Istanbul where I was going to see a, I was there for work and I was going to see a workshop for a band that we were thinking about bringing over to the U S and get there. We had to get off the training, walk through a neighborhood. And all of a sudden in this neighborhood in, in Istanbul, I was in the middle of a bunch of cows that like big, big cows that were going to, they were going home for the night. They were going to um, back from wherever they were eating and hanging out to their barn. And uh, all that was different because I was like, okay, one of these things steps on my foot, it's over. You know, um, and so I had to really be careful about. I remember, remember one point I, I had my hand on a cow, I had my can on my cane, and I had my hand on a cow in the middle of the night walking next to me. And I was using the cow to make sure that it wouldn't step on me and also to guide me where I wanted to go in a way. A guide cow that has so to be a first. <laughs> like, you know, I couldn't see anything, and it was the night, and then there was all these animals around me, and I didn't want to make a mistake, you know. And it was fascinating, you know, just, yeah, it was just, you have to kind of go with what you got in the moment. <laughs> Seizing the opportunity, so to speak. <laughs> you know, uh, but it's, yeah, you have to just be kind of ready to rock, you know, um, and, and and go with go with it and use your senses, you know, to, to get by. So over the last little while, we've seen a lot of changes in technology that have made travel a lot easier for us. What role does technology play in your travels now? Um, I would say, uh, you know, that's always gonna be evolving for me too. I would be willing to bet with the break from the pandemic and things, you know, I haven't traveled in a while, uh, but I would be willing to bet that I start considering using seeing AI more. Um, you know, uh, like the app on your phone or also possibly, um, you know, um, using the glasses at the airport where, the, where they have them available to you. You can call people and they'll help you get to where you want to go. I'm pretty good at finding my way to airports, um, but um, I use Google Maps a lot. I use um, map technology a lot where I have a, a lot of times when I'm in cities, um, especially I'll have my AirPods. Like, so I like using one AirPod and one ear because I don't like having both ears have an earphone in. Um, it makes me feel vulnerable. Like I can't, I'm losing a sense that's important to me. Um, and so I have, I'll put one ear pod, air pod in if I'm going and I have a specific destination I'm trying to walk to, especially. Um, and I'll just put Google maps on and have it walk me there. 
you know, but I always have one ear open and one ear with, with, and at a certain volume because I want to be able to hear the world. Well, and not, I usually, not, usually when I'm, I'm sorry, go ahead. I said not only to be able to hear what's happening around you, but well, to be able to hear what's happening around you to, to benefit right. from that as well. Right. And so I use, I'll use Google maps a lot, you know, or a map or some other map technology, whatever was best for the place that I'm in that can speak to me and give me directions sometimes about where, whatever destination I'm trying to find. Um, I do, I do do that. Um, I think, you know, um, I don't use a ton of technology past that, but I do see myself evolving into using more. I think it's going to be interesting to see. It's going to be interesting to see where technology develops and how it can be useful to help us engage with travel. Sometimes, too, you wind up in places, you know, like Footbrail. You know, like there's some cities in the world um, that have Footbrail, right? And it's always fascinating to me that people want me to walk on the Footbrail all the time. And, And in other places, they don't even know what it is. It's just there, but people don't understand why it's there. You know, I remember in the Miraflores district in Lima, Peru, they have really wonderful footbrail, like beautiful, perfect footbrail all the way. But then it always is like the road to nowhere, to quote talking heads, you know, uh, like it just, you wind up and it just stops and you're like, well, what am I supposed to do now? Why was I following that in the first place? Turn around and walk you back know, the way I uh, came. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I always find the footbrail fascinating, but it's a good technology. And sometimes cities have good things. Sometimes places have good things, you know, that, you can accentuate your your experience with, you know, um, you know. So yeah, I, I think that technology is growing as well. I think there's a lot more investment in that, especially when you get to places like museums and and theaters and and, and public gathering spaces. You know, um, there's a lot more ways to experience those now that you just have to figure out how to do it, and then it makes the whole experience different. I think for me, it's a it's a case of trying to figure out what the intention of it is because there seems to be no standardization of what it means. So the first time I encountered the foot braille concept was in Poland on some of their train stations. But mm-hmm. there they use foot braille to say, you are now approaching the edge of the platform. Do right. not walk on the foot braille. Where in other places, like, no, it's best to walk here. So they don't come with little audio labels that say this is how you should use this tactile technique and if it's all you know that's great but when it's different in a different country sometimes it can be a little bit confusing but still useful yeah totally agree i've had mixed experiences for certain you know in malaysia they have some foot braille kuala lumpur and it doesn't make any sense like it's just pointless you know it, you don't even know why you're, 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 why it's there, you know? And it doesn't lead to anywhere. It doesn't really go to anything. It doesn't make any sense. And there's certainly no blind people walking around. Yeah. You know? <laughs> so why is it there? Somebody just felt good about it. You know? uh, so like, there's just places where you learn really quickly to just discard it, you know, because it's not going to be a problem. Okay. So in talking about different travel experiences, I'm curious to ask, in what ways you approach business travel differently from leisure travel? Very differently. Um, you know, I, I, I don't mean this as any kind of sense of disrespect, but 
um, it's harder to travel with people. Yeah, it's harder for me to travel sometimes with sighted people than it is when I can just travel by myself, you know, or on a leisurely pace. For business travel, you know, um, I'm usually with somebody and, um, you know, they're usually moving at the speed and pace of a sighted person. You know, and then they also feel an obligation, I think, sometimes to look out for me. You know, where if I was by myself, I wouldn't have to worry about the burden of having somebody look out for me. You know, uh, and so it just adds an le- extra level of intensity sometimes, I think. You know, uh, also for business travel for me, um, you know, when I'm trying to find taxi stands and get to the right hotel and um, find the, the the meeting that I'm supposed to be at, you know, or the conference that I'm attending, Um you know, a lot of those things aren't designed as much of the world isn't designed um, for people, um, you know, who are visually impaired, low vision and blind. You know, we're not, they're not necessarily adaptable to us. So we have to figure out how to adapt to them. Uh, and so I have to spend a lot of time figuring out exactly which room in the hotel and what floor and how to get there and, 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 and what that means where, you know, um, a lot of times I think people with sight can just do a lot more naturally because it's available to them. You know, uh, for me, I have to think about that a little more. I have to give myself more time. I have to give myself more space. I have to do a lot. Well, oftentimes when I'm attending big conferences and things, especially, I'll, um, I'll spend some time on my own just walking around the hotel and mapping out for myself where the rooms, where the meetings are going to be and the events are going to be. You know, I'll, um, I'll kind of do my own run through you know, on my own time, um, when I get to the hotel or the convention center or whatever space it is, um, because I need to, um, I need to set kind of a memory map, you know, uh, of, of, of all these places that I had. So that when I'm figuring out, okay, when I'm using the, whatever app, that's the agenda or, um, God forbid they they're dumb enough to give me a piece of paper that I can't read. Um, you know, that, uh, I already have the memory map in my head, so I'm not stressed out by that. You know, uh, I do that a lot. I do a lot of like pre-mapping on my own spaces. Which, of course, is harder to do if you have sighted people going, no, but you just need to go right. there. Go there. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, and uh, there's a lot of spaces, too, I'll be frank, you know, that um, that I avoid. You know, if I don't find them necessary to the success of my of my time, then I'm I might avoid it. You know, there's there's a couple national meetings, national conferences that I go to. Um, there's like big exhibit halls, you know, um, and it's simply overwhelming for me. I can't. It's just too chaotic. There's too many people not looking where they're going. There's too much noise. There's too much distraction. It's too many people in too tight of a space. And it's not, I'm not going to be successful, you know, in, in that space. And so I, I'm willing to permit myself to not have to feel the stress of trying to be successful in that space, you know, and just find another way. To, if I need to have some meetings with folks and find some folks, they'll find them a different way, you know, uh, and not have to burden myself with, with being, because there's two kinds of burdens. There's the one, there's the burden of being the person in the space, trying to figure it out for yourself when it's not designed for you. And you're the only person like you in that in that environment and B the indirect burden that you place on everybody else who feels like they have to over accommodate for the fact that you're in that space and it's not built for you. 
Yeah. Yeah. And there are different self-perceptions, I think, for us of Mm -hmm. each one of those, the way they make us feel. It changes. You know, it varies, but it depends on, because, you know, a lot of people are really great. You know, I'm not, you know, a lot of human beings are naturally um, empathetic to other people. And they want, you know, the thing with disabilities and with blindness that I'm finding is very much, you know, I remember there was this article in the New York Times that, you know, kind of pissed me off, frankly. Um, and it was this, it was this study that was done in England that they broadcast in. And the headline of the article was, what's the worst thing can happen? What's the worst thing that can happen? Going, going blind, people say. That was literally the article's title in the New York Times. And, I, you know, and the whole thing was about how this, this group in England had done a, a research project where they asked people, you know, what they fear the most in the world and in their life. And, and it turned out losing sight was number one. You know, like and, and that, that that would be the hardest thing for them to deal with. I fired off a, a letter that didn't get published, obviously, right back to the New York Times um, saying, what are you doing? You know, like you have no idea, um, you know, about A, how damaging headlines like that are, uh, and, and, and B, how wrong that is. You know, like my lived experience going blind, there's a lot worse things that can happen to people in the world, you know, and having some empathy for each other um, goes a long way in thinking about that. And when there's plenty of people I know who um, know that I'm living a different experience and allow me to live it. And, you know, they're wonderful people that I really look to as leaders and friends and trust, you know? And so, there's all kinds of experiences out there for folks, you know, and yes, there's a lot of ignorant people too who don't get it. But when it comes down to with that, when you're dealing with in situations where you travel, especially it's a lot about their, their perceived responsibility of whatever the moment they're in. And also their fear of mortality, you know, their human, their natural human fear of disability of, of, of what it must, how hard it must be quote unquote. And I can't imagine because I could never do it or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, and you just have to accept that that's a human reaction. You can get past if people will talk to you. Yeah. I am so tempted to go off on one of several side conversations now, but I'm trying very hard to remind myself <laughs> like that we're that. talking about travel. <laughs> I told dollar back. Yes. <laughs> I'm very easily distractible, Adam. <laughs> And I'm very easily, I'm someone who distracts people. So it's a bad <laughs> Okay. So being good and virtuous and getting back onto the topic <laughs> of travel, what are some of the most challenging experiences you've had on your travels? I think you've touched on some of those already. Yeah. And, you know, what has been challenging about those experiences? I think some of the most challenging experiences I've had have been just moments that actually turned into powerful learning moments, you know, um, uh, uh, moments where I'm lost and by myself in a foreign country where maybe English isn't the first thing that's spoken. Um, you know, those can be, if you let them, they can freak you out. You know, um, I remember one time I was in Budapest in Hungary and, um, I was at a conference where it went very late at night. It was seeing bands that were playing late at night. Um, and the venue, get from the venue that the bands were playing at. It was, all, it was along, uh, along the Danube, the, the river, the Danube. Um, uh, 
to back to my hotel was not the easiest thing in the world at night, especially there weren't taxis available, that kind of thing. Ubers were hard to get. Um, so sometimes you had to gamble and try and walk it, you know, and it didn't feel safe. Um, just in terms of for anybody sighted or not, it didn't feel safe, you know, in the city at night. Um, and I wound up at one point somehow, you know, you get Jabberwocky and, uh, I wound up kind of in the middle of a median with cars going by me on either side very fast. And it was probably about a two foot wide median. And I realized I had no idea where I was and I couldn't see a thing. Um, but you know, I did what I do and that's, um, you know, a big part of, of what makes me okay with travel and things is that the self-practice of meditation um, and the ability to tune into what I call source energy, you know, and to think, to open yourself up to say, okay, so what you do in that moment is I stand still, I calm my breathing. I kind of open the top of my head up to the world, you know, uh, and let the air, air come in. I use my ears. I think about direction. I think about how I got to where I'm at, the route I took to get to where I'm at and how I can walk it backwards to get to a place where I'm not so unsafe. Um, and so I did, you know, I just kind of carefully walked back to the place that got me lost in the first place, I thought. And I stood there again and took a moment and gathered my thoughts and, and connected to the world. And then I realized I could hear the river um, oh, just far enough away. Uh, and I was like, okay, if I get to the river, I know what I'm doing, you know? And so I made my my way and found a path that took me a little bit to get back to the river. And then I stood at the river and I was like, okay, I walked and walked and I started hearing things that were familiar to me. Um, and I knew where I was, you know, and then I got back to my hotel. Um, you know, and it's, I've had mo plenty of moments like that, you know, where you have to stop and think and, and, and make a safe choice that usually involves backtracking, <laughs> you know, carefully. Um, you know, and also I've had a lot of situations too, where I, I know that there might be an unsafe situation. So I, I'm, you know, like when I went to Machu Picchu, um, I brought a sighted friend with me, you know, who trust, who knows me very well, has known me forever. One of my best buddy. And, you know, um, he knows how I travel and how I roll and, um, you know, Machu Picchu, places like that, anybody takes the wrong step and they're going to fly off in the Indus Valley and that'll be that, you know? Uh, and so, uh, a blind person, especially can be really at risk at the, in those kind of situations. So if you want to experience them, you need to plan to experience them safely sometimes. And that means letting go of some of your independence, um, and being okay with it because that's the safe thing for you and everybody else. If you're going to experience it, you know, you uh, so there was plenty of times when I was, at, right. When I was at Machu Picchu, there was plenty of times when the group I was with might go up and do walk up a certain pathway to a certain thing and I would hang back. You know, and I'd say, that's okay. I don't need to go do that because I knew it was going to be a, they're going to spend the whole time worried about me anyway. And B one wrong step. And I'm, you know, 2000 feet down in the Valley below. Uh, and I didn't really feel like putting that pressure on myself or them. And I was still having a great time and I was experiencing Machu Picchu. It's just that, um, I think that sometimes you need to be a little bit okay with safety and make some, some choices, you know, that, then make the experience better for you and better for the people you're with. And you're not missing out on anything horrendous. I still experience Machu Picchu like anybody else would, 
Um, you know, it was amazing. You know, and while those people were up doing that, I got to be in a space where I was by myself, surrounded by that ancient magical energy that consumes you when you're there and be in my space and notice other things, you know, uh, that, that they weren't noticing, you know, or experiencing, you know, so plenty of experiences like that. Where you, either A, where I've been wound up in moments where I had to make choices about safety. I've been lost in airports and damn near missed planes before and stressed out for sure. You know, um, you know, like in Narita or in Tokyo or places like that, where it's really complicated um, to figure it out. Um, and, and people are moving very fast. Uh, and you have to kind of, you know, you have that pressure of don't miss my plane kind of thing. Um, and, you know, I've had to hustle and bustle sometimes. That means when the minute, the minute you start getting into that space, that's when you make mistakes. When I make mistakes, at least anyway, um, that's when I start falling over things, knocking things over, running into people. Um, you know, um, walking into the women's bathroom instead of the men's bathroom, that kind of stuff. You know, if I had a dollar for every time I've almost, I've either A, walked into or B, almost walked into a woman's bathroom at an airport, I'd be a rich man. Um, you know, but you have to brush that stuff off and just know that, you know, it's part of the experience. Yeah. So having spoken about the amazing worst experiences you've had or most challenging experiences you've had. What are some of the best experiences that you've had and what have made them so memorable? Oh, my best experiences, I think by far, are ones that involve all of the senses. You know, so I remember sitting in a beautiful outdoors, an old um, fort, an old military fort um, in Bez, Morocco sitting outside at night under a beautiful African sky, you know, with the African moon and the stars all around and this beautiful, it was a perfect temperature and just nice soft wind coming in through there. And this whole crowd was there to see Sufi music, you know, see a concert of Sufi music that was then concluded by one of my favorite artists, actually American artist, um, Ben Harper, you know? And so I got to sit outside and smell um, you know, all the, all the wonderful smells of that come with that. And then in that city, all the food and, and the perfumes that people were wearing and all those things. And, uh, this wonderful music that I could close my eyes and I could just feel the night sky all around me and the wind and this beautiful trance music, very entrancing music, um, that kind of took me away, you know? Um, and I just figured, you know, that's what healing's about. I was very healed in that moment. I was going through some things in my life. That I didn't realize I hadn't thought about fully and I was kind of released um, and it was very emotional and spiritual um, you know those kind of moments I wouldn't trade for the world you know uh, I remember um, uh, you know thinking about uh, I was in this village in China with a band that we were going to look at and this tiny village called Shituzai in China which is up in the they call it the the stone forest portion of China, um, which is an ancient, ancient part of China, you know, and just getting to sit down and um, have this lovely group of, of, of people from this village host me for a meal. Um, one of the most incredibly delightful meals you could ever imagine with all these different kind of homegrown vegetables and, and, and different kinds of meats and things that they make in the village all these different kind of taste sensations happening you know with this very strong liquor that they drink um that we all you know have a good time with as well uh you 
know, and just really, you know, to have that bonding experience, but also a taste experience like that and be in a different culture, um, eating how they eat, eating what they eat and to be with them and trusted as a, as a friend and colleague to be in their space that way. Um, and to learn from each other. And it was great because what, what the way what things would go there was, you know, after they would have a round of, of drinks, uh, the men would stand up in between almost every serving, sing a song. And it was like, and then everybody would sing the song with them. And then we'd sit down and eat some more, you know, and just to have that, you know, the song involved with, with eating and, and experience the way, you know, all those kind of things are the things that matter to me, those kinds of experiences when I'm um, with people um, in different cultures and different places experiencing something that's multi-sensory, you know, um, and that creates kind of an indelible imprint on you in your soul, you know, uh, that you will remember for the rest of your life. Um, I've been very, I've been very blessed to have those kinds of, you know, standing, standing on the great wall of China and looking out, you know, it's, it's moving. Um, standing by the pyramids, standing, I stood in between the paws of the Sphinx, looked up into its face and realized that I kind of beat its riddle. You know, the riddle of the Sphinx is what walks on, what's the only being that walks on four legs, then two legs, then three legs, you know, right? And that's, that used to be the riddle of the Sphinx that he would, that you would have to solve to get past. And um, if you think about it, a person with a cane, a mobility cane kind of beats that. It kind of, we kind of mystify that riddle. You know, because we have this extra sensory leg, you know, that we have that that I that I use. You know, so I got to look up into the Sphinx, right? You know, literally in between its paws, look up and say, "Hey, man, I beat your riddle." <laughs> you know, uh, you know, so I, I, all those kinds of things. You know, the, the, I could go on forever with the amazing travel experiences I've had. You know, feeling that how the sun feels in different places, how the ocean sounds in different places. You know, um, languages, listening to people sing and talk in different languages. Um, certainly, you know, all the wonderful, amazing, great scenes in the world. I've seen all the great art um, I've experienced in the world. Um, you can't take, I wouldn't trade any of that for the world. You know, now I mean, may not experience it the same way as other people, but I get experience it my way. And, and my way is just as good for me, you know. For me, there's also something about being taking advantage of the opportunities that are there. And that's a mindset issue. Right. Some people just yeah. don't see the the need. Some people are too scared. And some people just aren't interested. As hard as that is for us to consider. Yeah. Well, a lot of the times people ask me when I tell when people hear about places I've been what I've done, they say, you know, what why? Why would someone, you know, and I was just, my answer is always the same because I can, yeah. you know, because I can, and for me, that's good enough, you know, like, um, and I definitely have, um, a curiosity about other cultures and, 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 and about the world's identity and world, I have a worldview, you know, um, and I want that worldview expanded and I have great empathy um, for how other people live, you know, and I want to know more about that. I want, I want to know, you know, one of the, like, so when, when I was in Peru, for instance, one thing that really struck me in Peru that I, that I couldn't, you know, get over, um, was everybody in Peru and in, in Lima 
regardless of class, age, race, whatever, um, winds up trying to get down to the cliffs that overlook the Pacific Ocean to watch the world's most amazing sunsets every night, right? And when you're around them, it's just amazing because all of these folks are totally in love, you know, and they are expressing it. Like there is romantic love <laughs> being expressed and not in a gross way, you know, just this overwhelming feeling of just how tied they are to just simply taking in the sunset with the person they care about the most, you know, and, and touching each other and, um, you know, just being so intimate with each other in a public space that way, you know, it just blew me away every night. I would, I would go down, you know, and experience, cause you're drawn to the sunset anyway, you know, that's what you want to see, you know, or feel, um, happen. And, you know, feeling all that love around me, all these people just, that's infectious, you know, to feel people so in love all around you, young and old, you know, um, and, you know, you don't get to experience those things unless you're curious enough to try and go find them and then permit yourself to feel them, you know, uh, and I felt those kind of moments all over the place that just kind of, you know, make you feel better about the world, about things, you know. Sounds like some truly magical experiences. Yeah, definitely. So, Adam, if people want to reach out to you to find out more about your travels or perhaps find about more about the work that you do, how can they contact you? Uh, best way would probably be my email, which you can gladly use. I'm happy to connect. It's Adam, B-D-A-M-B, Perry. So Adam, B as in boy, Perry, P-E-R-R-Y, 1971 at gmail.com. Great. Thanks for sharing that. Okay, last question. I think we've traveled all across the world and a number of different kind of metaphorical ways so far. But with all the traveling that you've done, do you still have places and travel experiences on your bucket list? And what are they? Yeah, I do. I think, you know, they change as I learn. You know, a lot of my, my travel desires are influenced by the books I read or um, things I hear, or the music I hear, or places, you know, that I, that I connect to in different ways so that I can change. But for right now, I'd say some of the places I still have a deep in my heart to experience for different reasons. I would like to feel, I would like to spend uh, a chunk of time um, in Ireland. Um, that's where my ancestors are from. And that's the language that's inside of me. That's the rhythm that's inside of me. Um, it's the poetry that's inside of me, I think. And I would like to just spend some time rooted on the ground in Ireland, feeling the Irish mist, you know, uh, and, and hearing and hearing the Irish lilt and and drinking Guinness with people in, in pubs and spending some time in that space, I think is important for me at some point in my life. Uh, as is Scotland, I'd love to go to Scotland and, you know, taste fine whiskey and be amongst be amongst the bogs and 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 that part of the world too. I haven't spent enough time there. Um you know, I, there's plenty of places in South America I'd love to see still, you know, Argentina and, and Chile and um, Patagonia, that whole area, I think would be beautiful. I also have this, I have never, there's some places in the United States that I, I mean to get to that would, I have this desire, I don't know what it's about, it's metaphysical, but I just want to hug a redwood tree, like a sequoia, you know? So at some point I want to get in, in into a sequoia forest and and and, and, and to to a place where I can just, you know, hang out with some trees, 
you know, uh, there's all kinds of little things like that, that that are still on my bucket list that are probably mostly achievable if I can find the time and space. And they grow, they change differently. Every day is a, a new place. I figure, oh God, I'd love to taste that food or hear that music there or see that art or just be there to touch a tree, whatever it is. It almost sounds like it would be easier to say, is there any place that is not on your bucket list? Oh, that's not fair because then that place is going to get back to me. But yes, there are. <laughs> I'm gonna I'm gonna hold that in as as don't see bad juju out in the world. Yes. <laughs> okay, fair fair enough. Adam, thank you so much for spending some time with us and sharing some of your travel experiences with us on a different way of traveling. It's been a real pleasure to chat to you. I really appreciate it, Lewis. It's been my pleasure too. After chatting to Adam, today's travel quote felt quite appropriate. It's by British author Jane Wilson Haworth, who said, travel is a joy full of surprises. Perhaps some of the most enjoyable times are those where one comes close to disaster. The risks add spice and make for great stories when you are safely back home again. Thanks for joining us on today's episode. We'll see you next time. That's it from us for this time. You can find Accessible South Africa on the web at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za, on Facebook and Instagram at Accessible South Africa, and on Twitter at Accessible SA. You can also email us at podcast at accessiblesouthafrica.co.za. Editing by Craig Strachan using Hinderberg software. Our theme music is by Lu Chil Chow, based on a motive by Lord Stratton. Credits read by Musa E. Zulu. Thank you for joining us on A Different Way of Traveling. We'll see you next time. Until then, happy travels.